BMX Experience, Stu Thompson Power System. Stu Thompson, the main man in BMX is teamed with Huffy, Numero Uno, and Bikes. The result, the Stu Thompson Series. Totally BMX, totally awesome. With competition certified monster frame and fork, power stem, power bar, every part of the bike has a part of Stu Thompson built right in, right down to those pinstripes pads. Go ahead, discover the experience, the BMX experience of Huffy Stu and you. Huffy, America's first choice. Co-sponsors, Shimano, Oakley, Haro, Bell, Viscount, Aria, and Changshin. First choice, the US cycling team, winner of the 1984 Olympic medals. Dear listeners, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And we survived the horror and torment of the Mephisto miniseries. It was a close call, but we were able to survive victorious and be able to present another day. I'm like... This says random banter. Oh, hey, it's random banter time, buddy. What you been doing? I've been recording a podcast. What have you been doing? <laughs> oh, well, um, let's see. Over the weekend, I went out to Ridgefield Wildlife Refuge and partook of their bird, what is it, bird fest? Yeah, bird fest experience. Nice. Yeah, so I went out there and uh, normally the uh, Sandhill Cranes are in town, mm-hmm. but uh, they're late this year, so no Sandhills really, but it was still cool. We got to walk around and look at birds and be out in nature, so it was pretty cool. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was fun. I got to hang out with friends, and then we went out for Chinese food. So, hooray! So that's my big to-do. <laughs> Other than that, a lot of household chores. So, gutters are cleaned. Huzzah! Huzzah! Because you have not gotten through any of the myriad of different comic books that I've already brought you, mm-hmm. I've decided to bring you another book. Even more. Fantastic. What'd Even you, more. What'd you bring me? I brought you this other book, The Comic Book Story of Beer. I thought it was appropriate. This is the world's favorite beverage from 7000 BC to today's craft brewing revolution. It's a novel by Jonathan Hennessy and Mike Smith, and it's actually just this giant graphic novel of beer. The main antagonist is beer. Beer. And the protagonist is beer. And Pretty the, much. It, it's, the villain it's, is beer. It's just a illustrated history of beer, and there's some kind of cool stuff in there. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I've been kind of picking at it over the past month or so since, mm-hmm. uh, since the Rose City Comic Con, which is where I picked it up at. As I was reading it, I was kind of picking up some really cool stuff, how we really talk about beer and how mm-hmm. we kind of see beer. So I thought I'd give it to you so that you could like pick it up as well and kind of Learn absorb some of that stuff too. Since we do talk about craft beer, I just thought yeah. it was very appropriate for a show. I, I thought should it was absor- a very good book. I should absorb some knowledge about absorbing alcohol. Yes. Yep. Yes. That's the better way of saying okay. it. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's yours. <laughs> that's mine. Merry Christmas. Thank you. I will, I will treasure it for always. <laughs> now we should talk about what we are doing here now with this abbreviated episode this is a bit of an interlude episode there are two comics that have very brief interactions or references to power pack that are then referenced in the next power pack issue we're going to cover so i thought we would touch on those two issues before we got back to our regular story and since these are such small snippets we are going to break with some of our normal formatting and rankings but we will still identify our favorite art and insults and anything else that tickles our fancy so please just hang in there for this one little break. They're good issues by themselves or part of some interesting runs. And, uh, you know, let's let's see what happens. Yeah, they connect in with the next issue. Yeah. 
So, uh, well, tell us what's on our list first. Let's start with a small one-page interlude of Power Pack in an issue of Thor. Okay. I didn't really follow Thor, so I think we need some backstory. Fair enough. This issue we will be looking at is smack in the middle of the epic, epic, epic Walt Simonson run on Thor. Mr. Simonson was a writer and artist, and he created one of the most fantastic runs. To give you an idea how important this was, think about the three Thor films. All of the basic plots from those films were adapted from the storyline. Wow. Well, okay. Also, we should point out for our listeners who do not know, Walt Simonson is the husband of Louise Simonson of Power Pack fame. So talk about a talented couple. And talk about a nice way to tie it all together. Mm -hmm. During this time in the Thor's run, the forces of Asgard had traveled to Midgard, a.k.a. Earth, to stop the demons of Surtur, a powerful fire demon who was facing Odin for the mastery of the Eternal Flame. He was that giant fire thing that destroyed Asgard in the last Thor film, Ragnarok. <laughs> Thor mythology is so metal. So much so that you could almost pull a random frame out of the Ragnarok film and make it an amazing album cover. Or the other way around. I think they used a few album covers for backdrops. As I was saying, after the day was won and they had their fun, they gave their victory cheer. Then they wondered, where do we go from here? You see, many of the Asgardians were stranded on Earth. The Rainbow Bridge had been destroyed, leaving behind many fighters, such as the Warriors Three, who we are about to meet in the town so nice that they named it twice. Okay, I am assuming that this is a bad thing. So who are the Warriors Three? Well, all Asgardians are like Nordic space pirate gods. They do not blend in well with the then-present pastiche of New York, or really anywhere. During this run, Walt Simonson had a lot of fun playing off interactions with modern life in these fish-out-of-water godlike characters. We will talk about the Warriors Three in just a moment, but first, why don't I give you a beer? I like the sound of this already. Again, kind of like the last beer I, I gave you, I really wanted to go with a specific kind of theme for these two, mm -hmm. but I didn't see it at the one beer store I went to. I actually went to a Beer Monger to pick up this beer. Okay. But as I was looking at different beers, I ran across a beer, and I it kind of struck me a little bit about both of these issues and about kind of the overarching thing that you could see with these issues. So I'm excited. I want to see what you got. Yeah, this is, this is kind of a neat one. Oh, it's paper wrapped. Okay, that's interesting. This is... Okay, hey, Brickside. Cool. Uh, Brickside Sour. More friends, more memories. Wood-aged sour beer with raspberries. Hey, I'm seeing a theme. Yeah, yeah. It ties I... into yesterday, or last <laughs> episode, where we had a Saison uh, with black raspberries. Yeah, I didn't think that part through, really. Okay. <laughs> and really, if I had tasted that easy, evil beer, I might have tried to go out and find something different. Well, maybe this will be the, uh, the memory to wash away the memory of the other one. Maybe this is going to be a really good one. I'm a big fan of Brickside. Brewery. Yeah, um, they make great stuff. Yeah, the uh, tap room is walking distance from my house, so yeah, I'm a bit of a fan. The reason why I chose this is because of the more friends, more memories. Yeah, we are going to be covering two different issues here: the Mighty Thor and the Fantastic Four. And during the course of these two issues, Power Pack is going to run into various people. Well. Power Pack will run into various people in one, and another person will dream about them in the other. But still, there's interactions with people that will become Power Pack's friends. No, that's good. More friends, more memories. Okay. So, no. I, I was hoping to do something kind of like a Nordic Dreams or something like that, but... I saw this, and something about the more friends, more memories just kind of tickled my head with what we're covering with these books. So that's how I kind of tied this together. I think it works, and I think you've done an excellent job. Thank you. Oh, that's a much pinker. This is a 6.6 .6 ABV. It's a 12 IBU, Ooh. and it is a limited edition. Oh, man, that smells good. That looks like grapefruit juice. Yes. For those of you who do not know, sours are 
a beer which has intentionally acidic, tart, or sour taste. I always kind of feel a kind of puckering in the back of my tongue. Sour is an accurate descriptor, yes. is what you're saying. But the thing saying. is, it's not like a lemon or lime sour. It's just a certain feeling that you get in your tongue. And I am a huge fan of sours, so definitely got the acidic taste. Yeah, definitely tastes a raspberry. Very, very raspberry. But this is, like I was saying, with that full feeling you get on your tongue. Yeah, yeah it froths it up. Yeah, it. you feel the real good bite, the real good acidic tart that hits your tongue. This is quite tasty. I like it. Uh, you were right about the color. It's yep. very hazy. Yeah, it's hazy. It's a dark translucent. It is very grapefruit colored. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you pour but, it wrong, very foamy. Unlike the last one we had, the Easy Evil, this one I do have more of the beer feeling, the beer yeah. taste. Yeah. You can get that IBU. You can get that. You do get the hop notes in there, but not the real strong hit of them. It smells really good. It smells really fruity. This is very tasty. I yeah, like this. it's 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 nice. There's nothing very unpleasant about this. No, at all. no, it's not and unpleasant. Whereas the last one, we couldn't really describe any taste or feelings. This one, the taste and and tart feelings really stick with you, which is what you want from a good sour. Yeah, and it's not a crazy sour either. It isn't no. like it's um it's like oh yeah, it's got a little bit of little sour going with it. You know, it sticks around. You kind of like lick your lips and you're like, yeah, there it is. So so unfortunately for everybody out there, this is a limited release, but. <laughs> get it while you can but uh breakside brewery love them yep they're they're neat they've yes. got some good ones salted caramel stout. salted caramel mm. stout yep that's kind of the the default one to go get there now since we don't have any two cents replay because we don't really need one yeah but nothing nothing happened before in <laughs> thor or fantastic four but what did happen we'll talk about it yep jeff credits if you please Thor, issue number 357, July 1985. A new deal from an old deck or the credit card soldiers. Credits, writer, penciler, inker, Walt Simonson. Colorist, Christy Scheel. Letterers, John Workman. Editors, Ralph Macchio and Craig Anderson. Featuring, The Warriors 3, Volstag the Voluminous, The Lion of Asgard, A Large Man Full of Mirth, Humor, and Bombacity. He is not taken from Norse or any other mythology, but is an original creation Modeled on Shakespeare's Falstaff, Hogan the Grim, a dark brooding warrior who is loyal to his friends and terror to his foes. Writer Stanley envisioned him as sharing several traits with characters played by actor Charles Bronson. Fandral the Dashing, good-looking swashbuckler, and good-natured fighter. He's kind of based on the public persona of actor Errol Flynn. Also featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, the oldest power sibling, Julie Power, second oldest power sibling, Jack Power, second youngest power sibling, and Katie Power, the youngest power sibling. New York, my kind of town. <laughs> Page 11. We see Fandral and Volstag walking down a New York City sidewalk, with Fandral expounding on what a truly magical place it is. Fandral is the kind of guy that is everyone's friend. He sees the beauty and joy in everything around him and can't help but brighten your day. I like to think that he is the kind of friend who would offer to help you move a couch without you asking him. Currently, he is comparing the skyline to a statement he gave to an old friend. Something about cloud-capped towers and gorgeous pavilions. Apparently, the friend riffed on Fandral's original words. Wait a second, I know this. Those are Shakespeare's lines. That is from The Tempest, specifically from Prospero. You do look, my son, in a move sort, as if you were dismayed. Be cheerful, sir. Our revels now are ended. These, our actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself. So Fandral is old, and he knows some people. Volstagg is not one for poetry. This big guy likes action. And tall tales. Volstagg is basically that person you know that is always one-upping everyone around him. You climbed a hill? 
he climbed a mountain. You saw an actor at the airport, he had dinner with the cast of Game of Thrones. You saw a pretty sunset, he saw a 12-hour sunset because the plane he was in was so fast it could chase the sun. Sure. He doesn't have any proof of it. But you weren't there, man. You weren't there! He's loud and proud in his 5XL, iHeart, NY t-shirt, stuffed over his normal Asgardian garb. He remembers a bigger city where he fought vast armies. He's expounding on his story about how he slew a thousand giants. Now, Volstig is not subtle neither in size nor volume. Unsurprisingly, his oratorical exploits have been overheard by a familiar family of four following close behind. Gee, do you really think he killed a thousand giants? Grow up, Katie. Nobody could beat that many guys. Besides, everybody knows there's no such thing as giants. This is quickly followed by Hogan the Grim appearing behind Jack and telling him this. Ah. <sighs> But there might be giants, my young friend, and the Lion of Asgard may have slain his share. Have care lest he hear and look to see who makes light of the deeds of the mighty, for his wrath is truly awesome. He hath been known to sit upon small trolls. Jack's response to this is... Urk. Hogan is the kind of guy that is hard to tell if he is being friendly and joking with you, or if you are in imminent peril of violence, so Jack's irk is quite justified. Hogan quickly catches up to his two brothers-in-arms, leaving the power pack in amazed shock. And that one page is all we're going to talk about. In an issue with two A-plot stories and a B-plot of these three kicking around New York, we are just zooming in on one page. If you'd like to hear more about this issue, especially in the context of this run on Thor, you should read the whole run from issues 337 to 382, or listen to the Lightning and the Storm podcast by Miles Stokes and Elizabeth Alley. Episode 6 of that series talks about this issue. Cannot recommend this enough. Lightning in the Storm is the go-to for Thor, period. There may be other ones, but really, Lightning in the Storm. <laughs> that's the one we know. That's the one I will recommend. As we established before, let's talk about the cover of this issue. Even though yep. we didn't talk about the entire issue, I want to still talk about the cover because I want to talk about Walt Simonson's art. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the cover of this Thor, the Mighty Thor, was done by uh, Walter Simonson. It's a split panel page showing Thor being chased by giants, mirrored by an image of Beta Ray Bill in his Thor armor being chased by robots. Who's Beta Ray Bill? Beta Ray Bill is an alien who uh, is the champion of his race and has been modified and augmented to the point where he looks nothing like his brethren of the alien species. What does he, he look like? He looks like Thor, but with a weird like horse skull head. Yes. And why does he look like Thor? Do you know? It is because he didn't look like Thor originally, but when Thor encountered Beta Ray Bill's spaceship, they had a fight. I believe that Beta Ray Bill bested him and got his hands on Mjolnir and was uh, able to wield it, and which point Thor was like, wait a minute, you're actually a heroic individual, worthy of the power of Thor. And then Thor something, gave him a... Something like that. Uh, Stormbreaker he, hammer, I think? He, he picked up Thor's hammer, and yes, he was worthy enough to hold Thor's hammer, and he became Thor at that point in time. Mm. Odin set up a match between Thor and Beta Ray Bill. The idea was whoever won the battle to the death would become Thor. So when the end of the fight happened, Beta Ray Bill had bested Thor, and they were on a, a molten lava flow that was going over a kind of a waterfall. Instead of letting Thor fall to his death, Beta Ray Bill saved him. And at this point in time, he said that the hammer is mine. Odin made a decision, though. He said, okay, I will go ahead and still allow Odin's son to continue to be Thor, but you are worthy enough. Here is your own hammer called Stormbreaker. And King. thus... 
There are two Thors. Okay, so nepotism, but with equality. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Come on. He's Odin. He can do what he wants. He can do what he wants to do. I set up up laws and I break them. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, this this cover once again. We got Better Ray Bill, who's kind of mirroring Th- mirroring Thor. Thor is still back on Asgard at this point in time. Beta Ray Bill is on Earth, and he's getting t- chased by these robots, while Thor is getting chased by these giants. It's a very kind of cool issue, like with that. Um, it's a fun cover. It's pretty much what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. These are the two stories that are happening here, and they are mirroring the plots that are shown what's going on. And it's just Walt Simonson's art. Walt Simonson does Thor art very cool, very well. I am going to have to read this run. Yes, yes. And, and now I have the issue numbers of which ones I should read, which is uh, 337 to 382. So yes, I will have read. to recall that, and then I will have to read them. Yes, yes, you should. Now, as far as the page itself goes... Mm-hmm. Page uh, 11. Page 11. There is one little issue I've got with page 11. You know what that issue is? There's another micro issue with it as well, but the main issue with it is the coloration of Jack's hair. And what seems to be the problem with that? Well, he is a brunette. No, except, no, no. Uh, it, normally he is a brunette, except for in this one where he is the blondest of blonde blonde kids. But who's not blonde? Katie's hair is kind of more of a muddy, yeah. you know, instead of a, because, you know, Alex is blonde, Jack is brown, Julie's is a red, and Katie's is like a dirty blonde. And Katie's is not, yeah, Katie, is it's still kind of a dirty blonde, but it's more mud. Yeah, the but, color yeah. of the kid's hair is a little off on yeah. this. Yeah, it's not quite there. Yeah, right. Julie's hair is a little bit brighter than normal. And yeah, so I'm just going to say that that is the uh, inker. Yeah. Inker fault. It's an inker fault. Yeah. It was kind of funny. I talked to my daughter about this issue already. And um, she was saying that, yeah, she was talking about how Hogan was scaring Alex. And I had to say, no, that's not Alex. It's actually Jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when the uh, inker saw the notes, it was just said, and Jack is brown. It's smudged, like yeah. mustard hit it, and it was kind of like, uh, I'll say blonde. Yeah. There's there's really not much here. I, I just wanted to bring this up because in the next issue of Power Pack that we're covering... I bet Jack has brown hair. Jack has got brown <laughs> hair. But they do run into the Warriors 3, and they make mention of this intersection. Oh, okay. So back when I was collecting these comics, picking up the back issues, and I picked up the back issues of Power Pack, I was a stickler for reading those asterisk boxes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, editorial comments oh, about... The, see issue 37 of Fantastic Four, yep. True Believers. Yes. Yeah. And I would go down and hunt down those issues and make them part of my collection. So, oh, okay. yes, this was part of my collection because it had Power Pack in it. All right. And I was like, oh, it's got Power Pack? Yeah, there it is. I found them. So, yeah, nice. Yeah. Other thing I wanted to say is that there is a definite... This one page, there is a literature reference. And a big that is time big literary time. reference. Because they are talking about The Tempest, which is a play by William Shakespeare. And it's believed to have been written somewhere in 1610 or 1611. And it's thought by many critics to be the last play that Shakespeare wrote alone. It's set on a remote island where the sorcerer Prospero, rightful Duke of Milan, plots to restore his daughter Miranda to her rightful place using illusion and skillful manipulation. He conjures up the storm, the actual tempest, to cause his usurping brother Antonio and the complicit king Alonso of Naples to believe they are shipwrecked and marooned on the island. There, his machinations bring about the revelation of Antonio's lowly nature, the redemption of the king, and the marriage of Miranda to Alonso's son, Ferdinand. Yep. Uh, tempest is a Tempest is one of Shakespeare's well-known plays. Oh, yeah, it's classic. Um, it, it's one of the, the classic ones he's got. It's also the one that deals the most with magic. Mm. And, um, yeah. There's a lot of cool things that are in that one. Alliterations that I have seen in Marvel Comics 
specifically dealing with the Tempest, because I think there's a couple of characters in the Fallen Angel series that make allusions to the Tempest as well. It's very cool that they actually just call out the Tempest, and they're saying that not only is the Tempest real in this world, uh, because uh, Shakespeare was just writing about a real thing that he heard Philandrel talking about. Uh, he, he cribbed notes off of his friend. Yes. That's always the thing with immortal characters and everything. They always have a story of where like, oh, and I was talking to William Shakespeare, or I was at there when Nero fiddled. I gave him the the fiddle originally at his birthday party. Immortal people always know everybody, and we're always at the most important things. With the, uh, you know, Nordic pirate space gods, I kind of actually believe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on to our second issue. It's uh, got a lot more pages, and it's more involved, so let's... Talk about Fantastic Four. Yeah, it has eight times the amount of pages that we just had. But but again, uh, backstory time. What's happening and what's going on? The Fantastic Four are hunting down a villain known as the Psycho Man. He and another bad dude named the Hate Monger are responsible for turning one of the team, Sue Richards, the Invisible Girl, evil. Sue got better. She changed her codename to the Invisible Woman and is ready to hunt down this dude and tear him a new one. She's a little angry. Actually, she's super angry in this issue. Like, her face is just perpetually in that rage mode, and it is ugly mullet time. Yes. Unfortunately, this will involve the Fantastic Four using one of Reed's super science vehicles to shrink in size and go to the microverse. And I'm not even going to try to explain that insanity. Good, because we are just going to focus on the first third of this book. We're not even going to get into the Fantastic Four adventure, right? Right. For now, let's just introduce the book. Fantastic Four, issue number 282, September 1985. Inwards to infinity. Infinity, 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 infinity. Credits, script and pencils, John Byrne. Inker, Jerry Ordway. Lettering, John Workman. Colorist, Glennis Oliver. Editor, Michael Carlin. Editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. Featuring... Franklin Richards, the son of Reed and Sue Richards of the Fantastic Four, and he's possibly a god, small g, developed off the charts insane powers after he was born, but his dad locked them down, so now they're just kind of amazing. The biggest thing we need to know is he's got prophetic dreams. We open the book with a toe-headed man with dwarfism in monogram pajamas running through a rubble-filled cityscape. Um, that is not an adult with dwarfism. That is a child. Are you sure? Yeah pretty sure. Then why are the proportions all off? I don't know. Could be that this is a dreamscape imagery. Could be that the artist has never seen a child before. It's a mystery that will never be solved. Mostly because I don't want to put that much effort into it. But I will tell you that this child is none other than Franklin Richards. And not only is he running through a rubble-filled landscape, he is also running under a quote from Moby Dick. One trembles to think of that mysterious thing in the soul, which seems to acknowledge no human jurisdiction, but in spite of the individual's own innocent self, will still dream horrid dreams and mutter unmentionable thoughts. Herman Melville, 1819 through 1891. Moby Dick. I love how the credits are written on the broken rubble. It's kind of a nice touch. It is a nice touch. Franklin is calling for his mommy and daddy, but we turn the page and... What? Yeah, we have some dialogue light pages here, so let's describe this awesome John Byrne art. Franklin's back is to us as he stares out at the Statue of Liberty, illuminated against a dark sky. Franklin, on a rock outcropping, surrounded by water, looking up at four moons in the sky and two spaceships flying around each other. Franklin seeing a chameleon smart ship being struck by lasers from the following snark ship. 
The smart ships crashing in the water, steam rising up in the air as the enemy ship zooms off into space. Franklin walking in the water towards the steam, repeating his calls to his mommy and daddy. And then a big freaking snark jumping out of the steam! Now we have a chase. The snark is chasing the young boy through a series of rocks which look like the skeletal ribs of something big, but he does not escape. He is captured and is being held by the cuff of his pants by this alien boogerhead. Really? Boogerhead? What? That is a Katie-approved line. Anyway, Franklin is saved over the course of four panels in a way that seems oddly familiar. The first has the snark's head being pelted by four spiky yellow ball things. And then he's smashed by a rock being thrown by an arm with a familiar white and black checkered pattern. Then Franklin is running away while the snark is blinded by a cloud. Finally, Franklin is picked up by somebody with a rainbow behind him. Who then drops him off in a forest and flies off. Franklin starts bushwhacking through the forest like he's looking for a badly placed geocache. When he finally spots a young pony boy? Hooray! A chameleon pony boy is back in the story. But he apparently can't talk. Don't you know that ponies don't talk in dreams? Only in real life! Dude, check the medication, cause something is off. Besides, Franklin comments that there is no sound occurring in the dream. I guess someone forgot to upload that driver before the flash player started in his head. The boy genius identifies that the spaceman is injured. He promises to get him to a better hiding place. He would also get his daddy to help. You see, his daddy's the smartest man on Earth! Except he thinks that his mommy and daddy have gone off somewhere. Again. Leaving Franklin all alone. Again. And then... Franklin points up to the top of a cliff, where there are four silhouettes. The same four that recently saved his pajamaed bottom. He mistakenly thinks that they are adult superheroes, at least until he turns the page to reveal that they are... Wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, turn the page. Oh my gosh, it is Grover! Grover was the monster at the end of the book! He was the monster all along. Silly Franklin was scared all this time for no reason at all. Give me that! Dude, you got the wrong book. We should be looking at Fantastic Four, not the monster at the end of this book. Oops, my bad. Still not a bad book. Yeah, it's a great book. A great book. Anyway, we turn the page and it is the power pack. And Frankie is a bit disappointed that they are only kids like him. Not like you, shorty. We're not like anybody. Yeah, and we don't need you, so go away. Alex and Julie get to restoring order and trying to find out who Franklin is. But before they can get beyond an introduction, three more snark ships attack. Apparently killing Power Pack. What? But you said we had like three more years of content for us to do. You're a liar. Liar! A liar whose pants are constantly on fire. Dude, dude, settle down. Dream logic, remember? Besides, Alex still seems to be moving around. Yeah, he reaches down to grab Franklin's hand and says, Franklin, Franklin, quick. We want to help you. But you've got to come to us, Franklin. We can't reach you. Come to us, Franklin. You can do it. You can... You... And white out, followed by Franklin falling out of a bed. And that is why you do not eat three chili dogs with jalapenos and three flaming Dr. Peppers before bed. True dat. True dat. Franklin is in the Avengers Mansion with the rest of the Fantastic Four while their home, the Baxter Building, is being reconstructed. The rest of this issue deals with Reed Richards finishing building the vehicle that will take She-Hulk, the Human Torch, and him to the Microverse. Sue is arguing that she is going too. Their journey into the subatomic universe 
and then they're captured by the Psycho Man. The important thing to know is that with the Fantastic Four gone, Franklin is being left at the Avengers Mansion in the care of Jarvis. Wait, isn't that the computer program from Iron Man that eventually became Vision in the Marvel movies? Um, yeah, let's just put that off to the side. In the comic books, Jarvis is a middle-aged butler for the Avengers. He's got no powers, unless you consider cleaning the mansion after Hercules, Thor, and the Hulk a superpower. Ah, and on top of taking care of a mansion full of superheroes, he also has to babysit a four-and-a-half-year-old with nascent godlike powers. Yep, Jarvis is a true superhero. Cover page review, cover page review, time for the cover page review. That's a good theme song for it. Huh. I'm thinking about getting that copyrighted. Oh, TM. There, TM, done. TM, TM, TM. Yep. All right, all right, all right. So, we have Fantastic Four 282, mm-hmm. and this is done by John Byrne. He was the artist of it. The best way that I'm thinking we describe this image is imagine you are looping a video recording, and this is like that infinity image effect. So, you're recording a television that's recording what you're recording onto the television, and you get this kind of like, woo. Yeah, I, 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 I got no real good way to do it. On a beige background, the Fantastic Four titles above the team of Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, She-Hulk, and the Human Torch, and their images are repeating backwards into the page to... Infinity. 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 And beyond. And beyond. So yeah, this is just a simple and trippy image. It's very iconic. It's something that I've seen a lot, and, and it's just... Every time I see it, I, I know what this image is. It's... it's it's very kind of cool. No, it is great. It is fantastic looking. Uh, it it really draws the eye. It makes you want to pick up the issue and see what it's about. Yeah. Once I get a better understanding of the story where they are actually going into the microverse, it does make sense because they're kind of like shrinking down into the microverse. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, so I think that it is very... It's, it's not what happens. I mean, this image does not occur in the book, but I think it is very representative of what's in the book. Yeah. I fully agree with that. And I also think it's a very stylistic choice to draw on the customers. Oh, yeah, it totally If you see this up on a up on a stand, you will pick it up and you will look at it to try and figure out what this issue is about. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great bit of art. So speaking of what we just discussed though, mm-hmm. what do you think about Dream Logic, man? <laughs> uh it's Dream Logic, which means that you can be in a rubble-filled cityscape and then be looking at the Statue of Liberty that's fully intact, and then uh spaceships can fall down from a moon-filled sky, and in the ocean it can be about three inches deep. And you know, it's it's just great. It, you can just draw whatever you want and it's fine. It's it, there's a weird kind of perspective thing that's going on too. It's mm-hmm. Everything seems correct and proportional, but things are just... There's a different shading, a different coloring to make things feel a little alien, a little not... I mean, this is reading a comic book, so the comic book's not real, but there's certain logic within the rest of the comic book, and this is very different logic of drawing style than what's in the rest of the comic book. I agree, except for one part of what you said, which is proportional, because Franklin, his proportions are all off. Yeah, his proportions do His crotch is up in his belly button, his arms look like uh, an adult man's arms, his head looks like Johnny Storm. Yeah, it's a little funky. uh, Now, here's the deal. Power Pack looks fine. They are drawn the way that Power Pack looks. Yeah. Franklin is just not right looking. But, oh, here's the thing. So, uh, the art for Power Pack, uh, I'm totally fine with it. You can tell it's done by a different artist. But the characterization of the characters is like everybody swallowed an angry New York Jack pill. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because it's like Katie, although maybe she's sensing the future where she's the baby, <laughs> but now somebody a little bit younger than her is going to join the party because she's all, yeah, and we don't need you, so go away. Yep. And Jack's calling him a shorty. and Which, that's Jack. Yeah, but that's, so Jack is fine. Katie is like way off. But then even Alex is like telling Katie, it's like, shut up, Katie. I I sort of agree with you. I mean, Julie's fine. Yeah, Julie is, yeah. Although Julie does have a look of kind of like, who are you? Yeah. Well, she even <laughs> says, we're Power Pack. Who are you? Yeah. So. But her, her look is very... <laughs> What's this dwarf doing here? You know, I, it's a direction that Alex is going into. Uh, he's getting becoming a little bit older. He's mm-hmm. the one who's giving more leadership kind of commands. And especially going forward into a couple of the issues in the future, him and Julie especially, they start getting tired of Katie acting like this. And they oh, okay. start snapping at Katie like this. So I don't think it's completely oh, out well, of the ordinary. Is this a precognitive dream of I, what Alex is, is going to be like? Well, it's it's... It's not that he's going to become angrier. Well, okay. Actually, let me take that back. He is going to become angrier. Okay. But I mean, I think it still fits them. I mean, Jack's being Jack. This is what Katie is going to be like in the next few issues. Oh, that's terrible. Well, her reacting here is how she reacts to to uh, Franklin when Franklin starts hanging with him. Okay. Yeah, and so, it, it, I'm sure it is simply because she used to be the baby. Uh-huh. Now there's a different baby. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. And, and what's funny, too, is that Franklin has always talked about, oh, he has precognitive dreams. Yep. No, he doesn't. He has cognitive dreams. He dreams about what's happening right now, uh, which is not cognitive post nor pre. It is just simply cognitive. I don't know about that because I... Well, I'm just going off of a different thing that we had read. Okay. No, yeah. that's that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So this with, is, with this my is, interaction with Franklin as sure. of yet, uh, he, he does see he does have precognitive because he actually sees things that can and do happen in the future. He does have cognitive. He also has precognitive too. So I, I think that he gets things in. Things mm-hmm. are coming in and hitting him a lot. Mm-hmm. Franklin's powers are ridiculous. Oh well, yeah, he, they yeah. are ridiculous. This is our first interaction with him, and as he starts interacting more with Power Pack, and as more and more things come up. He does some kind of cool stuff, which is kind of neat. I'm looking forward to getting to that. I know uh, in the current future where they did the Secret Wars stuff with, you know, Doom running War World or whatever it was, you know, uh, the end of that here, spoilers for something not 35 years old. Franklin is just spinning off realities. It's like they're rebuilding the entire Marvel universe and he's just, here's the universe and I'm spitting it out into the the world. Here's the universe, I'm spitting it out. I just read the most recent Fantastic Four, which is Fantastic Four number two. Mm-hmm. And in that one, they just straight up call him a god. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He's here's a spoiler for anybody not read uh, Fantastic Four number two. He uh, he's sitting there with the Molecule Man, and he's asking all the people around him, including Alex Power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alex Power is there hanging out with him, and he's like, "Okay, so whose turn is it to invent a universe? <laughs> oh, you want to invent a universe like that? Okay." So he starts thinking and he starts designing it. Mm-hmm. Because he can. And Molecule Man is just throwing in the molecules in there. Oh, okay. And then, boom, they make boom, a universe. Yeah, that's crazy. And he I, just make, he, they say, well, he's God power. Yeah. Well, here is, uh, you know, a thing to just show kind of what your power set is. If your herald is Galactus, <laughs> you kind of won. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, the thing is made out of stone and is super strong. Uh, Franklin's herald is Galactus. Yeah. The world eater. <laughs> so I don't have a library card, but we brought up the monster at the end of this book. And, yeah. um, you know, it has nothing to do with this at all, except that it's a fantastic book. It is a great <laughs> book. You know what? I had actually no experience with it mm-hmm. until our friend Kristen got it for my daughter for her birthday, I believe. Yeah. Uh, either Christmas or her birthday. And so I recently have read that for the first time and yeah. have read it several times. Yes. And yes, it is a fantastic read. I, I got it too. I did not have a knowledge of it until one of my friends, uh, Emily, 
she bought it for our daughter. And that was her favorite book when she was younger. And yes, it's a fantastic book. I would also do a shout out to the War Rocket Ajax podcast. They have a thing that they do with the greatest story ever where they rank different uh, comic book stories and, you know, in order from one to, I think they're at 810 or something like that now. Somebody sent in the monster at the end of this book <laughs> and they had a, they loved the book, but they said they, they had a little discussion about is this a comic book? And they came to the conclusion, yes, it is. Because there are panels, mm-hmm. there are distinctive stories, are there distinctive characters that are written in cartoon fashion, and there are dialogue boxes. Mm-hmm. And that, therefore, makes a comic book. That is a comic book, yeah. And they love to talk about it because it's one of those rare books that the act of you reading it causes the book to exist and change. Yeah. Which, if you have not read Monster at the End of this book, this is what it is. It's Grover talking to you, the reader, about how you should not read this book because there's a monster at the end of this book. And he's imploring you every page not to turn the page because you are going to get to the end of the book where there's a monster. Yeah. And you don't want to go there. And he's trying to protect you. And he's doing things like building bricks uh, against the page. He is trying to paperclip the page. He's trying to tape the page. And every time you you move the page, it causes destruction. Yeah. <laughs> and he keeps trying to do things to keep you from getting to the end of this book because you, the reader, are causing, the, causing this to happen by stopping you stop the thing from happening. Yep. But you don't continue you don't. the story. But 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 you don't continue the story. By continuing the story, you are causing the story to actually occur. Yeah, you are <laughs> you are a participant in the story. You are a, a actively affecting Grover's mood where he is just getting more and more desperate for you to stop. And you are getting to the end of the book where there is a monster. Yep. Yes. And we're not going to spoil the ending. Except to say except, that there is a monster at the end of the book. <laughs> yeah, except we totally did spoil it. Oh, we did. Yeah, in the previous <laughs> podcast. Fair enough. The previous episode, we uh, so uh, anyways, <laughs> so reverse spoilers. Actually, no, that was totally spoilers, and we didn't call it out. Though. All right, if you were to read the book, if you were to read the book, but we'll spoil it. We'll we'll spoil it this much because you're going to be reading the book and you're interacting with the book, and you keep turning the pages, and you turn the last page, and there you're at Science Corner. Yeah, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I knew where you were going. You can't fool me. You can only fool me. What episode are we on? Hey. It was a nice try, though. It's like, hey, it was fool a nice me try. once, shame on me. <laughs> fool me 15 times. It was a nice try, though. No, that was a great time. No, that was a great tie in. You did very well. Okay, so we're in Science Corner, but no science was really had. So uh, nothing really to talk about that, I'm afraid. So instead of Science Corner, I'm going to bring back Scrod in a segment we haven't seen in a while that I will call It's a Hard Snark's Life, the sequel, Dream Warrior. You see, it may have looked like a snark was attacking Franklin in this issue, but in reality, something else was going on entirely. Scrod has had a hard knocks life as of late, so hard in fact that it has knocked some sense into him. He has come across some important information that he desperately needs to get to the power hatch lanes. He frees a recently captured chameleon smart ship and uses it to travel to Earth. Unfortunately for him, his fellow snarks have figured out what he's up to and are giving chase. He is able to lose all but one of his pursuers. Sadly, this last one is the one that shoots him out of the sky, killing the ship that he had so recently freed, and would go so far as to say, befriended. He pulls himself out of the wreckage to discover a different yellow-headed hatchling in front of him. Maybe this one can help him. Scrod tries to explain the situation, but the hatchling runs away. Scrod gives chase, and is able to capture the yellow head and explains what is going on. Please listen to me. I mean you no harm. I need your help. 
I must get information to the power hatchlings before it is too late. Before the hatchling can respond, Scrod is hit by four powerballs on a rock. Then, as he is being enveloped by a cloud, he sees the yellow-headed hatchling get carried off by a rainbow. The power hatchlings! It has to be! Scrod has found them. Wait! Please come back! I have to warn you! I have to tell you! Please listen to me! Please listen to me! But his cries go unheard, or fall on deaf ears. This has been another edition of Jeff's Therapy Sessions. <laughs> if you'd like to send money to help ensure that Jeff gets the help that he needs, please send it care of Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, 1234 Southeast. Please help me. Or send it to our Patreon account, which is Jeff and Rick Present, all one word on Patreon. Jeff, let's just do some refrigerated galleries, because, you know, we, we, there, we yeah, get there's some good art. You know, there's some good art, yeah. and you know, let's talk about both books. Okay. You got a comedy one. I do have a joke one. All right. And it is on the Fantastic Four. All right. Page one. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what it's going to be. And I call it Small Dwarf, Big City. This is the show now. Yep, Small Dwarf, Big City. It is uh, Franklin running through the destroyed remains of a city with also a fine city behind him. Yes, so yes. that's yes. my joke one. Franklin does look quite ridiculous in the proportions. I love the art in this, but Franklin oh, looks weird. Yeah, yes. the, the art is fantastic, but Franklin's proportions are... I know we keep on harping yeah. on that, but it's just something that really just stood out to me because June Brigman does kids so well. Yes. And, you know, and then every other artist that's come in has done, you know, a near equal job in just drawing children. And to have this one where Franklin, who is obviously a child, and it's just, he just looks wrong. And looking at the non-dream sequences, he still looks wrong. Yeah. He still looks wrong in the rest of the issue, too. Yeah, he, he does. Just, yeah. There's just some weird proportion things that are not quite yeah. right. It's it's just, I think it's along the lines where the artist is very used to drawing adults in yeah. a certain way. And then it's like, oh, a child. So children are small adults, but... I still need to draw adult proportions because that's all I understand, but I'll slap them on a non-existent torso. I guess you get adult arms and head on legs. Well, he's, <laughs> so. he, he's a master of drawing a lot of superheroes. I mean, yeah. he's, he's drawn everything from X-Men Fantastic Four all the way through everything else. Again, the, art looks, the art looks fantastic. It's just Franklin looks different. Yeah. My comedy is on the Thor page. Yay! You've got a you've got a joke one now, too. i got a joke one, too, because uh, fantastic. there's something just hilarious about the blonde-headed Jack getting <laughs> getting his pants scared off by Hogan the Grim over yeah. his shoulder. It's it's it is a quite a funny little look. Yeah, it is. It's pretty great. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's the. Yep, that is. Do you have a name for it? Um, I, it's Hogan scaring Jack. That's I, a, it's 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 straight up. It's just Hogan scaring Jack. That's, a, there's nothing else I can say. It's very accurate. <laughs> what do you have next for your backup? My backup is in Fantastic Four. And it's on page five, and I call it Riding the Rainbow. And it is <laughs> it is the uh, very bottom panel, and it is Franklin getting deposited in the middle of a forest by a rainbow. And so you have this forest scene with a little kid falling in to the ground and falling, a rainbow streaking through. Falling, falling, falling out of a rainbow. Yeah, falling out of a rainbow. Yeah. yeah I love the, the background. I love... Oh, the yeah. dream sequence is just... There's, oh, the it's art hard, is fantastic. Yeah, it's hard to figure out some good stuff, but no, that that's a cute one. I had a different backup one. Mine's on page four, and it's the top. Oh, yeah, it looks cool. And it's the snark chase. Yeah. It's Scrod chasing our boy hero through water, up through these 
rocky skeletal remains with four moons behind them and it's just a great little action sequence it, I, I just i love the chase going on there. it is actually my number one. Oh yeah yeah that is my first place one and i call it foot space race no, I like it. Foot yep. Space Race. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so what's your number one? My number one is a page before, and I call it Snark Attack. <laughs> Why? It's, <laughs> it's because there's a snark attack. Yes, there is. Um, we have, th- this is after a couple of panels of the steam in front of Franklin. He's looking at the steam, and out of the steam comes Scrod, and Franklin's running away, screaming, Oh, we got to figure out a Franklin voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not it, but <laughs> it's... I think he sounds like, a, no, no, daddy, mommy. <laughs> I think he's got a deeper voice than me. I think that <laughs> is Franklin's voice yes. for now uh, on. Mommy, daddy. That'd be great, yeah. No, that's no, not... no. That's horrible. <laughs> so yeah, we have, um, we have the snark just towering over, and it's just, the, the lines are... The, the John Byrne clean lines. Mm-hmm. It's pretty impressive. So that's my number one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Let's talk about rubber and glue. Mm-hmm. I got one thing here. I've got two. Well, why don't you tell me your two? Okay, I've got a backup, and that is a Fantastic Four, and that's page eight. Yep. And that is probably going to be your one choice. Yes. Yeah, and that's uh, Jack saying, Not like you, Shorty. We're not like anybody. Yep. That's yep, your one? That's, that's my one, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. That's a good one. So my number one is a jack line on page 11, and it's grow up, Katie, because I just think it's fun when kids tell each other to grow up. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yep. So that's my rubber and glue moments. <laughs> yep. Not much there, but there's yep. a couple things there that we could talk about. We are going to skip the stars in detention because there's not much to go on here. We're going to skip the G-Force because... Uh, there's not much there, here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're not going to grade. No. I, I don't think we want to grade these. No, no. Because they're not true power pack stories. They're, they're interludes that involve the power pack, but yeah. they're not true uh, stories. So we'll skip that and we'll just shoot right on to final thoughts on beer. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of this beer? You know, I like it. It's not amazing. Uh, I'd probably go about a three and a half. I really enjoy this one. I would say that this is about a four power ball for me. Okay. I think that this was quite tasty. It's a limited edition, but I would definitely, definitely get it again at any point in time. It's a good sour. It's a real good sour. You know what? I'll go for a four as well. Hmm. Three and a half is close enough to a four. I I am enjoying it. Yeah. It's not what I would uh, go for all the time, but uh, if it was offered to me, I'd totally drink it. All right. Sounds good, sounds good. Well, up next we have Kids Perspective, where Rick asks questions of his seven-year-old daughter, Carrie, because she had the time to read nine pages of comics. So, Rick and Carrie, tell us what you think. Hello again, Carrie. Hello again, Daddy. How you doing? Good. Good. Thank you for helping me out again today. I gave you two comic books to read, right? Yeah. Okay, the first one is this issue of Thor, but I didn't have you read the entire thing, did I? Nope. Just this one page. Yeah. Tell me about this page. What's going on? There's this big guy that says, I love New York, and he talks about giants, somebody who killed giants. Uh Uh-huh. And Katie said, gee, do you really think he killed a thousand giants? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea who these three guys are? No. No. (laughs) All right, let me explain them. These three guys are from a place called Asgard. Asgard. Uh Uh-huh. They are friends of Thor, who's a god of Asgard. Okay? Okay. 
So these three guys are friends of his, and they are warriors. So this is Volsteg. He's very, very big, but he's Volsteg. fat. Yeah, let's call him big. Okay, big guy. He's a very big guy, and he's the lion-hearted, okay? Lion-hearted. This is Fandral the Dashing, because he's good-looking. Can't really tell, because it's a very small picture, but he is good-looking. And this is Hogan the Grim. Hmm, he looks grim, doesn't he? <laughs> so, they are not from New York. They're not from Earth, actually. They're from this place called Asgard. They're wandering around Earth, and they're talking amongst themselves about Earth and things when they run into these children. And these children just happen to be... Power Pack. Yep. So, that's the reason I just had you read this, is because it's a small little intersection with Power Pack in this one book, and they mention it in the next book that we're going to read. So, that's why I had you read it. We had another book, and that one is called... Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four. And I had you read just the first half of this book, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me what you read. It was about a boy named Franklin. He has these cool dreams. Uh-huh. He can think of the future. Yeah. And past. Sometimes. He he sees things. He When he dreams, mm-hmm. he sees things. Yeah. He's dreaming, right? Yeah. And what is he seeing? He's seeing some broke-up place. Broken-up place, Yeah. He's searching for his parents. Yep. And there's no sounds, right? Yeah. So what does he find, though? Snark. Yeah. And he's got no clue what a snark is, does he? Nope. So what else does he find? Power Pack Kids. Before he finds the Power Pack Kids, what does he find? He looks like Whitey. He does look like Whitey, doesn't he? But it's not Whitey. He's actually... This guy's got a different name. We haven't met him yet. So I'm not going to give you his name yet. We'll be introduced to him in an upcoming book, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. But he meets this chameleon, and then him and this chameleon meet... The Power Pack Kid. Yep, that's right. They try to save him, right? Yeah. What happens instead? Starts fading. Yep, and then he... Stops streaming and he... falls down his bed. He wakes up, doesn't he? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen to him in the future? What do you think this dream is possibly telling him? That he's going to meet the Power Pack Kids in the future? Who else do you think he's going to meet? The guy who looks like Whitey. Is there anybody else he might also meet? A snark. He's going to meet some interesting people pretty soon, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a little story that's put in the beginning of this book, and it's kind of hinting in the fact that Franklin Richards is going to meet up with Power Pack. Mm-hmm. You think he's going to get along with them? Kind of. Kind of? What do you mean? Okay, he- do you think he's going to get along with uh, Alex and Julie? Yeah. What about Jack? Maybe. What about Katie? Maybe. Because he's about four and a half years old, and Katie's about five. Yeah. You think they're going to be friends? Maybe. Maybe. We're going to have to see, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about about those two uh, those two things I really had you read? Um, no. Okay. Thank you very much for your time again, Carrie. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. And it's shout-out time! We like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. On Twitter, Mal wrote these kind words. Guys, I am listening to a podcast about Power Pack that I just found out exists. They have their seven-year-old daughter say the sound effects and Katie Powers dialogue, and it is completely and utterly delightful. Ed209 commented that the X-Men 195 cover made him uncomfortable but we decided that wolverine is just happy there is a hero shorter than him and he just has his claws out in a happy greeting other twitter likes decade fan smash fiction tighten up the defense strictly worse dan mulcarin 
Dr. G, Comics in the Golden Age, Tim Price, Rustin LF, Alexander, DC Pardue, Warlock Thanos Podcast. And I would like to wish a happy birthday to my daughter. Thank you for all your help on this show. As many of our listeners have pointed out, you are the best thing about it. Oh, hey, Jeff, remind me, too. I have to change it from seven-year-old daughter to eight. Oh, that's going to be a big thing. Big thing. She's as old as Jack now. Wow. Wow. (laughs) She's as old as a cloud. Jeff and Rick Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recording in front of a live studio audience of two other people who are in the room with us right now in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. Next episode, we will be back in Power Pack with issue number 15, Reckoning. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our life. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We We love love you. Until next time, costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Shiny Tech. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Compotech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. <laughs> I'm a genius. This is great. You teamed. You, you, you just lashed yourself to an anvil, my friend. Okay, here we I go. I actually like that one. <clears throat> Dear listener, to some stuff. Where we're not going to talk about Power Pack. <laughs> I do my own fully work. <laughs> What's that the sound of? That's the sound of somebody slapping a glass table. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the winds are picking up and the trees are whistling. It's the sound of the wind, the spitty, spitty wind. <laughs> yeah, that's going to come out well. They're awesome foliists. <laughs> Grow up, Katie. What was that pop? Oh, what was that? <laughs> that came you okay? Out. Yeah. All right. That was just weird noise that my lips made. Grow sure it was your lips. We'll say it was my lips. My lower front lips. <laughs> if you would like to hear more about this issue, especially... Okay. <laughs> this this um, more friends, more memories, more burps is uh, man. Oh, raspberries! <clears throat> I'm being kind and blowing it away from you. Man, that is a burpy sour. That is just to you. Just, just to, to you. Just you're burping too, but on the inside and quietly, and not now. <clears throat> okay. I gotta tell you, I love Wikipedia sometimes. Yeah, it's uh, you ever want to sound like you know what you're talking about? Yeah, no, it's always Google it, Wikipedia um, it. Yes, it says to read the quote. Yep, read quote. There, we took care of it. Do you want to read it, or do you want me to? Oh, you're 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 the <clears throat> I did the last quote. Okay. Yeah, pages of stuff. Remember, you're an old fisherman. <laughs> okay. Not you're not Jack. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yay! Yay! That's terrible fanfare. Yay. And there was and there was much rejoicing. Yay! Yay. <laughs> and there was much fanfare.
Yay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, and on top of... Ah, and on top... Ah. 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 Beer. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this? Beer. Aw, I think my baby does not like it. Jack and Rick present is a bi Jack and Rick. Jeff and Rick present is a podcast about a comic book and we drink beer and then they say stuff. This is all true. Awesome, George Burt. George Burns. George Burns. If I'd have a uh, pair. Yeah. If I had a pair. Good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. <laughs>